Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. This morning, I want us to look at the epic faith of Abraham in a message entitled, Epic Faith Even When You Have Questions. Abraham is the classic example of faith in the New Testament. Whenever the writers of Scripture want to talk about faith, want to illustrate faith, invariably they point to Abraham. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. You're a child of Abraham. Father Abraham had many... Okay, so you all know it, don't you? Some of you do. So you are a child of Abraham. (laughs) So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham. Watch this. The man of faith. You demand Abraham. I mean, he is the man of faith, right? He is the epitome of faith. Why? Because there's a lot of people who walk by faith in an amazing dimension, but Abraham consistently through his life walked by faith without having all of his questions answered. Abraham is the man of faith. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. The details of that story are recounted for us along with his entire life in Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapters 12 through 25. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I want you to notice the Lord had said. It's instructive for us because what this is referencing is, at this point, Abraham is living in a city called Haran. He starts out where the call of God comes to him, where the Lord reveals himself to Abraham. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, in speaking this powerful message to the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was living in Ur of the Chaldees. That is is a city on the northern shore of the Persian Gulf, kind of where Iran and Iraq meet in the southern tip there. It was a very advanced city. If you've studied world history, you know that's in the Fertile Crescent. That's the cradle of civilization. And it was there in this city, Ur of the Chaldees, a pagan city. Joshua says in Joshua 24 in his farewell address to the nation, he says, our father Abraham served pagan gods beyond the river. So here is Abraham. He is a pagan. He doesn't know the true God, but the God of glory appears to him. And the God of glory says, Abraham, I want you to leave where you're at and go to the land I'll show you. 
What happens is, that happens uh, probably around the time Abraham is 65 years old. He goes north to the city of Haran, which is all the way up in modern-day Turkey, eastern Turkey, northern Syria. He's there for 10 years. And in 10 years, there's no new word from God. There's no additional revelation. And in 10 years, God appears again and says, I want you to go to the land I will show you. The reason why I point that out is because there are a number of followers of Christ where God has spoken to you. He spoke to you years ago. He put a call on your life. He gave direction to your life. And now 10 years later, nothing is happened. And can I just say this? Nothing, there will be no new additional words from God, no new additional directions until you go back and do the initial direction and you obey what God first told you to do. A lot of people are waiting for an additional revelation, but they haven't been obedient to the initial revelation. That's Abraham. He's waiting around in Haran, that's not the place God was sending him. Why he's waiting, we could speculate. There's a lot of reasons why that may have happened. But the fact of the matter is, until he is obedient to God, nothing new, nothing powerful, nothing supernatural is going to happen in his life. But once he's obedient to God, all of a sudden, the story begins to unfold and miracles happen and Abraham begins to experience the blessing of God on his his life like he has never known it before. And there are some here today. And when you get back to obeying God, when you get back on track, when you say, God, I'm going to give attention to that thing you've revealed to me, you will see the hand of God on your life in a way like you haven't seen in years. You will see God bless you and lead you and guide you and do what you could not begin to imagine. Now the Lord had said, to Abram. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram, he's called Abram because God hasn't yet changed his name. God is going to meet with him and touch him and make him the father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. So he changes his name to that. But right now he's Abram. So Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram, Lot is his nephew, which is a whole nother story. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Now, as you're thinking of Abram, you've got to think of him as a, um, what would be a wealthy sheik in Middle Eastern terms. 
corpse is not just like five or ten tents uh, with a few camels and a company of people moving along. This is a rather large group of people. We know in, in two chapters, chapter 14, that he has a standing army of 318 men. So if he's got that, you figure that along with everything else he's got, you might have 2,000 to 3,000 people moving in this company that are now on the move, headed to the land of Canaan. He is at this time very, very wealthy. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram. See, 20 years had passed. God appears, says, go. Then God, 10 years later, says, go. That's the deal. Now God is speaking to him and beginning to unfold things because Abram has taken that step of faith. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I'll give this land. This is the land you've arrived, Abram. Here it is. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, so look at this. What I want to do is I want to give you four principles on faith, on epic faith that follows when there are no answers. The first one is this. When God wants to do something in your life, he says, leave. If you're going to walk by faith, you cannot stay where you're at. You have to be willing to go. You have to be willing to leave where you're at. You can't live in the realm of where you're comfortable, your comfort zone, what you've gotten used to. You can't hang on to old habits that need to go. You can't think like you used to think. The life of faith is a life of leaving. Genesis 12:1. look at it again. The Lord had said to Abram, leave. Now notice as you walk through this, and just a few things to point out, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I'll show you. First of all, it's very, very interesting. He was told to leave his father's household, but we know when he went to Haran, he took his family with him. I don't know. Maybe that's why he stayed 10 years in Haran. Maybe he is there because his father, who he brought with him, has decided he likes Haran and he doesn't want to travel any longer. You know, it's a mistake when you and I hear from God and God tells us, this is what I want you to do, and then we modify God's plan. Because we think somehow God will understand. We think somehow we maybe know a little bit more than God or that, that God will be okay with it. But whenever you modify the plan of God, you risk encountering delays to the will of God in your life. And you risk encountering all kinds of problems in your life. He not only brings his father, but he brings a nephew, Lot. And you can read the story. It is a problematic relationship. All because he didn't do originally what God told him to do. God said, leave your father's family. Leave your house, the, the, your father's household and go. Now, here's something else that I notice in this. It says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. If you think about it, that's completely backwards. Typically, I mean, if you're going to go on a trip, you're going to leave your house first, right? Then you're going to leave like your neighborhood, the, the people you hang out with. Then you're going to leave your city. Then you're going to leave your country if you're going overseas, right? 
In rabbinic thinking, whenever you have an order that is reversed like that, what it's telling you is this is first and foremost not a physical journey, it is a spiritual journey. And what's happening here is God is working spiritually in Abraham's heart, in Abraham's life, and it will lead to, to physical activity, but always the work of God, the call of God, the will of God, following God begins in your heart. It's a matter of the heart first and the circumstances second. Abraham's called to go on this spiritual journey. When God wants to do something in your life, he always tells you to leave. For some today, God is speaking to your heart, and he wants you to leave where you're at. Oh, let's not quickly go to, to geographical relocations, though it could lead to that. But oftentimes, it's much simpler than that in terms of what he's asking you to do. For some, he's asking you to leave a habit behind that is hindering you from hearing from him and walking with him. For some, he might be asking you to let go of a relationship that isn't doing you good or the person good. God is saying, I want you to trust me enough to leave him, to leave her. I'm not talking about if you're married. I'm talking you're living together. You're sleeping together. You're hanging out together. You're partying together. It could be leaving a group of friends. God may be calling you to make an adjustment that way. He may be asking you to leave where you're at emotionally. You've been so caught up in the past, so caught up in the hurt, so caught up in the, in the bitterness or the self-defeating cycle, and God is coming to you, and he's saying, I want you to leave. I want to do something in your life, but in order for me to do that, you're going to have to leave where you're at, and that's going to require a journey of faith. He might be asking you to leave where you're at financially. In other words, you've been relying on things. You've been trusting in things. Maybe the reason why you've not been growing in the Lord and hearing from the Lord is, is maybe you got delayed in Heron where you're making a lot of money and the money has captured your attention and God is waiting for you to once again open your ear and hear his voice and he's calling you to leave Heron, to leave that place where you've accumulated a lot and to get on with the spiritual journey to which he has called you. The life of faith is a life of leaving. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want to do something big in your life. I want to do something amazing in your life. But if I'm going to do that, Abraham, you're going to have to leave where you're at. Number two, when God tells you to leave, he doesn't always tell you where you're going. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. For most of us, it takes a lot of faith just to go where we know we are going, let alone where we know we're not going, right? But God called Abraham from a place or called him to a place he did not know where he would bless him. He knew nothing about the land God was calling him to. All he got was a calling from God. You say, what's a calling? Let me define it for you this way. Because every Christian has a calling. Yeah, good. You were called by God. Yeah. 
You were set apart by God. Every Christian has that. A calling is a divinely ordained reason for being that God gives to every believer so that you can be blessed to be a blessing. Whatever God's calling is on your life, it's a divinely ordained reason for being, a purpose. And that purpose isn't just so you can say, well, I've got a purpose in my life, but that purpose is always in the eyes of God and the work of God through us that you and I might not just consume his blessing on ourselves, but we are blessed to be a blessing. All Christians have a calling. Your calling is not my calling. My calling is not your calling, but you have a divine reason for being. He has blessed you so you can be a blessing. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things. He planned for us long ago. How long ago? Before time began. You're a, you're a masterpiece. You're the Mona Lisa. Unless you're a guy. Then you're somebody else, okay? You're a masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus to do good things. Back to Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land, I will show you. He doesn't know where that is. He doesn't have any idea. God didn't say, listen, here's a travel brochure. Take a look. I mean, wait till you see the beaches there. You think they're great in Ur. I mean, they are awesome in Israel. He doesn't know where it is. He doesn't know how long the journey is. He's going to take a circuitous route to get there. It's going to take him years to get there. It's a faith journey. But God calls him to go. He doesn't know where. And God says, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. God's calling him from a place where he was to a place of blessing that he knows nothing about. And all of that simply highlights what we've been seeing all along. And that is faith is okay with ambiguity. That's right. You know, as long as, as you have to have every question answered, as long as you have to have a sense of how it's going to work out, as long as you have to understand what God's doing in your life, it will be impossible for you to walk by faith. Abraham doesn't have answers to any question. Look at it. Hebrews 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. In the original, in the Greek, it uses the present participle, so it literally reads like this. Abraham, while being called, obeyed and went. God's talking, and he's going. God's talking, and he's like, Sarai, pack it up. We're leaving. 
I mean, it's instant. He's not having to think about it. He's not having to process it. He's not having to say, you know what? I'm just going to have to sit on that for a little bit and think about that. No. And here's what happens to a lot of people. The longer you wait to obey the voice of God in your life, the less likely you are to act on it. And the more you forfeit the urgency, and I would suggest the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because what happens is, one, one author put it this way, delay dulls the sword of the Spirit. You lose something of the conviction that, that it's God. You begin to talk, you begin to say, oh, that just must have been me. That's not really God. I don't think God really asked me to do that. You begin to talk yourself out of the will of God and with it the blessing of God. I mean, here's Abram. And what he does is he obeys instantly and immediately. Does he have questions? Absolutely. Does he have answers? Only one. God is prompting him to go on a journey to a place he did not know where it was at in a day when there's no such thing as Google Maps or voice-activated GPS. God said go, and since God is the one who said go, where he's going is immaterial. Let me just, let me just say that to you again, only personalize it to you. If God is the one who tells you to go, where you are going doesn't matter. Because you will find peace, wholeness, and fulfillment in the center of God's will, no matter if you thought you would have liked it there. I think in terms of being in Bible college, and we, we were in here in Springfield, and I remember, and I was from Colorado, and, and I would drive across Kansas, and so I, told, I, I remember praying this to the Lord. Lord, there's three places I do not want to pastor. <laughs> Springfield, Missouri. That's number one. Western Kansas. And the panhandle of Oklahoma. I've been to two of the three. I don't know, Western Oklahoma, I will be there someday soon. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting? The two places I did not want to go were places I had the time of my life. Western Kansas was my first church, and there's nothing like your first church. I fell in love with those people. When, I, when we left and went to Kansas City to start a church, it took me a year and a half to get over them. And then we came here, and I mean, it has been joy upon joy upon joy. Could I have understood that? If God would have told me that, I would have fought it. I would have struggled. I would have said, what in the world? But here's the fact of the matter. God knows what he has for you. And what he has for you is better than what you have for yourself. And this is where the life of faith is lived. It's you saying, it's not about me. It's about you. And I don't trust me as much as I trust you. And wherever you lead, that's where I want to be. Because wherever you lead, that's where your hand of blessing will rest on me. God, tell me where to go. Some of you have talked yourself right out of the blessing of God because you thought you knew better and you thought you could make yourself happier and you thought that you'd be a lot better off doing your thing instead of God saying wrong, wrong, and wrong. And God is a good God 
who's created you for the place, for the time, for the purpose, to accomplish things you could never imagine in your wildest dreams. I'm sure Abraham's neighbors thought he was crazy. I mean, you can imagine it. He's out there loading the U-Haul, and they're saying, where are you going, Abraham? Uh, I don't know. Well, who told you to go? God. Which one? The true God? What's his name? Uh, he hasn't told me that yet. You mean you don't know where you're going? You don't know the name of the God who told you to go, and you're going anywhere anyway? And Abraham's like, yes. You and I know so much more about the God who calls us. We know so much more about his goodness. We know so much more about, about how he can be trusted and how faithful he is than Abraham. But Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. When God tells you to leave, he doesn't always tell you where you're going. But he does tell you enough to take the first step. Every single one of us knows enough to do the next step. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the first step is to find him as your Savior. If you're away from God right now and you're, and you're doing whatever and you've gotten off track, the first step, rededicate your heart to Christ. Everybody, and then from there on, whatever else it is, you know the next step. If you've not been baptized as water, the next step for you today is to get, I mean, it's not that simple. People want to make it way more complicated than it is. You say, well, do you, do you always know? A lot of times you, you come, you've you got questions. You don't know. You're, you're moving, you're going without knowing. But because God is the one who is calling you, you know that it's going to be good. Number three, when God calls us to step out in faith, he gives us promises to encourage us. What gives enthusiasm to our faith are the promises of God. And when God calls you to go, I venture to say that there are many here and God has spoken to your heart at one time or another. And with that, he gave a promise and you forgot about the promise somewhere. You quit talking about the promise. You quit reciting the promise. You quit quoting that verse. You stop thinking about that verse. But the fact of the matter is God incentivizes you and I. He encourages you and I with promises as we go. You look at this in Abraham's life, and we won't reread all of the verses, but God says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. One command, followed by, are you ready for this? Eight promises. What does that say about our God? The kind of God who, who wants to encourage, wants to incentivize. He's called the God of all encouragement, the God of all comfort. Same word in 2 Corinthians. God is encouraging you. God is right now. There are some of you right now, and God is speaking to your heart. I know that to be true. God is challenging you to take the next step in, in your epic faith journey. God is saying, I've got this. I'm going to help you. I'm going to go before you. 
All you have to do is trust him, believe the promise, accept the promise. Look at it. I'm going to give you the promises. Promise number one, I'll make you into a great nation. He doesn't have an heir. He doesn't have a descendant. He and his wife keep trying to get pregnant, and it is not happening. And God says, guess what? I'm going to take care of that for you. Later, God will say, if you can count the stars in the sand, you'll be able to count your descendants. Or the stars in the sky, you'll be able to count your descendants. Promise number two, I'll bless you. Promise number three, I will make your name great. You are going to be one famous dude. Promise number four, you will be a blessing. Promise number five, I will bless those who bless you. I'm going to set it up where people are going to recognize if they're good to you, I'm going to be good to them. They're going to see that it pays to be good to Abraham. Promise number six, whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, that's God's way of saying, listen, you don't have to be afraid in the place where you're going, because if anybody comes against you, I'm going to be against them. They're not just coming against you. They're coming against me. They'll have to deal with me. I'll protect you. I'll stand up for you. Promise number seven, all people on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so much that there will be enough blessing to bless everybody on earth. Right? And that's true through Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, who's brought blessing to everybody on planet Earth if they'll reach out and take it. Promise number eight, to your offspring, I will give this land. And there's something about the promises of God that, that warm your heart, that encourage your heart, that strengthen your faith. And today, if you're struggling to take that faith step, listen closely because God's given you a promise. And maybe as you're reading the Bible, this is why it pays to read the Bible. You open the Bible and there it is. A verse leaps off the page. Maybe you've never read the Bible, but suddenly it's alive to you. Or maybe you've read it a thousand times and a verse you never noticed or you passed over many times instantly becomes your verse. It's your minute. It speaks to you. It feeds you. It encourages you. It's God's word to you. His encouragement to take that step of faith. Number four, when God is worshiped, our faith is strengthened. You know, here's the thing about Abraham. How does he stay strong? How does he make this journey? What you find with Abraham is he constantly is building altars. He's constantly having moments where he calls on God. In fact, Paul points that out in Romans chapter 4 as he talks about faith and how Abraham's a model of faith. And he talks about one of the great faith challenges in Abraham's life, which some listening today have, the, the challenge of infertility. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham was 100 years old, and his wife was, was in her 90s, and both of their bodies, the Bible says, good is dead when it came to reproduction. But it says this, Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. He did not waver in his faith concerning the promises of God, but gave glory to God being strengthened in his faith. That as you and I give glory to God, there's something that happens in our faith. It changes us. When we begin to think of who he is, how awesome he is, when we begin to say, God, you are above, you are high and lifted up. God, there's nothing that's impossible for you. And we begin to worship God like that. It gives us faith to believe for impossible things. You see that in Genesis 12. Watch it. 
So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So he comes to modern-day Israel. It's called the land of Canaan. And Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. That's, that's a very ominous statement. See, what happens is Abram's coming into this land and he's got maybe 2,000, most 3,000 people with him, 300 soldiers. So he doesn't have, he doesn't have a large army, enough for some basic self-defense, essentially against bandits. But he comes into the land of Canaan. If you fast forward 400 years, as Joshua is taking over from Moses and they're on the banks of the Jordan getting go, ready to go into the land of Canaan, do you know what God says? I'm sending you into the land of Canaan where there are seven nations stronger and more powerful than you are. Seven of them. Each of them stronger, more powerful. The nation of Israel at that point has 600,000 armed soldiers. Here's Abram. He comes into the land. The reason why I say that is he comes into the land. The Canaanites, they're there. The seven nations are there. There is nothing physically to his eyes or mentally to his mind that says he can possess the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I'll give this land. Abram, I don't care what you see in the way of Canaanite armies and Canaanite nations. This land is yours, and I'm giving it to you and your descendants forever. And what's Abraham do? He builds an altar. He says, God, I don't understand how that can be possible. But you're the God who does impossible things. And I worship you and I'm thanking you right now for this land that is mine. Even though physically I can't see how you'll do it, mentally I can't see how you'll do it, because it's you who said it, I believe it and I thank you for it. And I declare it to be so. This passage has Tremendous meaning to me. You know, there's some passages, some stories that God burns in your heart through a, a moment. This is one of them. I'm going to get emotional, but I'm standing on a place where that passage came to life. 1997, we were at the Evangelical Free Church, and it was our building, and the church was growing, and the county had said we couldn't expand at that location. We'd have to We'd have to do something else and so we found this piece of land and and we put an, a lease option to buy on it so we leased it with the option to purchase it for a certain price it would, it would be two million dollars to buy it it was 40 acres uh, of ground and so you know we we 
hadn't yet executed the lease to purchase. We were still in the deciding phase and we were putting together, you know, the building and the cost of the building was coming in at, at you know, uh, 13 to 16 million. And so you add the land on top of it and you're, you're in the $18 million range. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the church, it's 3,000 people and, and uh, the annual income is not huge at all at that time. It's, I mean, it's okay, but it's not what you're going to need to do this. So we, you know, we don't know a lot about fundraising. We bring in consultants who are going to tell us what to do. And they're like, oh, pastor, you need to, you need to stop worrying about it. The, there's money in that church you don't even know about. And I said, well, great, that's awesome. And so they do the consulting. They work all their metrics, talk to people, and they come back. This is literally what they said. Pastor, we're so sorry. That church is just what you said. There's no money there. <laughs> so now we've got that. We've got Y2K looming, and people are threatening the collapse of Western civilization or the civilized world as all computers melt down because they can't do 2000 in the dateline and so I mean and people are stockpiling food and I mean it's just a crazy time and we're at a place in the fall of 97 where it's you either got to put up or shut up because it's time to either you're going to build you're going to make the jump or you're not and and I'm just I'm seeking counsel talking to people but you know interest rates then are are eight and a half percent I mean they're not like the the cheap interest now and and so you're realizing that you're thinking of all that money and and the church has seven hundred thousand dollars saved up against 18 million and fundraisers who tell you, you don't have the money to do this kind of project. So Debbie and I went away to New York. I spoke at Brooklyn Tabernacle that morning and that evening we stayed in town because I wanted to, I just wanted to be in the service. And um, so as we're there, they have an altar time, an invitation at the altar and people come forward to seek the Lord and Debbie and I go up because I mean, I'm just, all I can think about is this decision because I can't really ask the board to jump in if I'm, if I don't feel it's the right thing. And, and you know, in the eighties, a lot of guys had led churches into building campaigns and the churches collapsed and it was shameful and it brought a black eye. I mean, there's just all these things you're thinking about. And so I'm seeking the Lord, looking for an answer, and, and then we go home to, we go back to our hotel room that night, and, and we talk about it, and I, I say, you know, I'm so disappointed. I, I went forward, and I'm in the altar, and I've been seeking God, and I don't feel anything at all. And, um, man, I, I just don't know what to do, and, and I feel no direction from the Lord. And, and so we went to sleep, the next morning we get up early, jump on the plane that's back when TWA is still flying and we're we're there at LaGuardia getting ready to take off and I'm sitting in the plane and buckle my seatbelt. I get my Bible out because it was early they hadn't had a chance to have my devotion so I open my Bible up and instantly it hits me I'm different something has happened between the time at the altar and Monday morning, I'm a different person. The anxiety's gone, the doubt's gone, everything's gone. I'm at perfect peace about moving forward. I can't explain it, I don't, other than I know the Lord, and I'm reading Genesis chapter 12, I'm reading this story. And I felt the Lord speak to my, speak to my heart, when you get home tomorrow morning, which would have been a Tuesday, I want you to go out on that land and right where the platform's gonna be, right where the word's going to be preached and people are going to be saved. 
I want you to build an altar like Abraham. And I want you to praise me for the church I'm going to build. Tuesday morning came, drove out my little Ford Ranger onto the property, got out. Kind of, we kind of knew where the auditorium was going to be. It's kind of a little spring here, a little muddy. And I remember just turning my back to the highway, cars going by on 65 Highway, and saying, Lord, you're the God who takes things that are not and calls them as though they are. And I can't physically see or mentally understand how we could ever build a church on this property. But you say there will be a church. And so I lift my hands in praise. And I thank you because you're the God who does the impossible. And I thank you, Lord, that there will be a church here. And in this altar, thousands of people will come to know you as Lord and Savior. For the next 20 minutes, I just praise God got in my truck and drove to work. I'm just telling you, you're sitting in a miracle. You're sitting in a place where God said, I'm going to do the impossible. And I don't know what you need this morning. I don't know where you're at, but I know there's a God who does impossible things. For some of you, that walk of faith will begin that when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you rededicate your heart. For others, you're, you, you've somewhere along the line, you've heard from the Lord, but, but you're in Haran. You got sidetracked. You had family. You had job. You had this. You had that. And somewhere along the line, you stopped following that word from the Lord that you know was him. And his plan hasn't changed, though years have passed. His call, his word to you is the same as it's always been. And some of you, you're in, the, you're in the fight for your life and you need a promise from God. You need a word from the Lord. And others of you, you just need to worship the Lord and just to say, God, I can't understand how it's going to happen. But if you say it, I believe it. And I'm going to keep on walking by faith and thank you all along the way. That's what epic faith is all about. It was the faith of Abraham that went without question, and it's the epic faith God wants you and I to live by in our life. Amen?